Hey guys, welcome to another episode of Genuine Chit Chat. This week, I talk with a friend of mine called Aaron. Now, much like some of the other guests I've had over the last few weeks, I've known Erin since college, and um, in college we used to hang out quite a bit, and um, she was into photography, so I thought it would be a great opportunity for us to discuss photography. Um, she also did a degree in, um, I believe it was photojournalism, um, so she's, you know, for at least five years of her life she's been using a camera in a sort of professional manner, um, and so I wanted to talk to her about that and what she kind of likes about being a photographer and sort of what she enjoys about photography, what kind of got her into it and all that sort of jazz. Um, she also talked about like the photojournalism and her current job kind of being more on the marketing side but still some of her skills being used, it's it's really really interesting. Um, she also goes into, you know, some of the sort of shocking graphic images that are, like can be used in photography and whether or not a sort of morally right to do so as well as with photographers intervening with some of the things taking photos of and then we get sort of we talk about photography for a little while and then we talk about snowboarding for a short period of time as well because Aaron recently went snowboarding and I've never been it sounds pretty interesting um, and then after that we get into like a whole mess of things uh, we talk about depression and suicide and mental illnesses um, Aaron's got someone quite close to her who does suffer with um, a sort of mental illness. Uh, I'm not going to go into too much detail because not only is it not my, it's quite a personal thing to talk about, but she does sort of get into it. Um, as well as we know quite a few people who've been suffering with other mental illnesses as well as depression, that sort of thing. And a lot of people who don't want to accept help because they kind of, they almost feel like they deserve depression in a way. And um, people struggling with it and there's still quite a lot of stigma and shame towards it. So we talk about that as well. Um, we also talk about perspectives and passions um, as well as education. We then also we talk about gene memory a little bit, cause we talk about phobias and stuff, um, parenting and childhood, and how you sort of your parents can affect you, um, and we also get into like sort of community and how individuals can make incremental changes, but as a group community, we need to kind of try and make decisions as a, as a whole, you know, not just a local communities, but as in huge communities, and that's what I quite like about the podcast, just sort of building up a community, getting people together, um, loads of other obviously podcasts and groups online do the same sort of thing, so it's just cool to see this sort of thing happening in almost every walk of life, really, across um, the globe, which has really been helped by the internet, I find. Um, and, you know, that's pretty much what we get into. In part two, we talk about loads of other things, such as uh, the homelessness I don't know if I want to use the word crisis, but sort of homelessness in general. And we, we talk about loads of other things in the other podcast. So obviously if you enjoy this one, I imagine you'll enjoy the other one. It's not all about photography or anything. It's a lot more about sort of humanism quite a lot more. And not, not dissimilar, I'd say, in a way, to um, my episode with Wayne. Um, the first one I had with Wayne uh, a couple of weeks ago where we talk about the human condition. So if you enjoy this one, I'd probably recommend go checking that one out as well or vice versa. Anyway, guys, um, I'm going to get straight into it, really. Um, don't forget to like us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, or follow us, or however you want to phrase it. You can find us on the social media platforms to see, basically, Twitter is what's going on in my head, essentially, every now and then, and Instagram is, you know, vague pictures to do with my life. It's kind of like, more is about the personal life, and the other is more about what's going on in my noggin. Um... God, I sound so blocked up, and I do apologise. It's only in the intro. My hay fever over the last week has just started to kick into overdrive, and I do take antihistamines and stuff for it, but my nose is so blocked up, and my eyes are watering. It's like 10 at night. I've just been out in the sun all day. Um, but fortunately, in the podcasts and the ones I've been recording over the last couple of weeks, uh, fortunately, I've managed to not sound too bunged up. But yeah, the start of this one, I sound really bunged up. I probably should have mentioned it at the start, just in case it turns off anyone who's listening. But oh, well, they're gone now, and it's just you guys remaining. Anyway, thanks as always for listening, guys. Um, I'll, here comes the show, and uh, I'll be back at the end to talk about part two a little bit.
Welcome to Genuine Chit Chat, where we have honest conversations with interesting people. And I'm your host, Mike Burton. Hey guys, welcome to another episode of Genuine Chit Chat. This week, I'm with my friend Erin. Hello! And uh, the reason I've got Erin on here is because Erin is basically passionate about photography, and um, I like talking to people who are passionate about anything, really. And uh, photography's always been one that's kind of... It's interested me uh, as well in a lot of ways because I, especially around college sort of time, I did music videos and whatnot quite a bit. And obviously that's not still photography, which is the sort of thing that you do, um, but it's more, you know, being able to, you have to look at look things through the lens. That's what you kind of have to do. Um, so I thought I'd ask you, what's your, what kind of uh, got you into photography in, in a sense? Because I met you around college time, so I just thought, you know. What sort of what got you into photography? What made you want to do that? I I've always been a really creative person ever since I was really young. Um, I always like joke that I got the creative genes and my sister got the um, intelligent genes. Um, but I was always finding enjoyment in seeing more than what's in front of you. And photography is quite a it's almost like a storytelling kind of topic. Yeah, yeah. Um, so like you said, you did music videos. Mm-hmm. And although that's all moving, yeah. when you're setting up, you still have to see what's around, um, what messaging's coming across. It's the same with photography, but it's just one snapshot. Mm. So I never had the opportunity to actually do any photography until I started college. Yeah. Um, and even when I was at college, although I was doing it and enjoying it, it was very, you take pictures of this and you do this. And it wasn't for any, free flow. Yeah. Mm. So for anyone that does photography or filming, um, we'll probably share the frustrations um, of being told what to do because yeah. it's not natural. It's not, you don't just see something, you're mm. actually looking for it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's like with uh, with photography and a lot of arts, arty sort of things. A lot of it is about um, expression, and it's about your own perspective. Whether it's music, uh, photography, like physically drawing or painting something, and it's about it's about expression. And the problem is, is that understandably with uh, college, it, it's harder to grade uh, people if you don't have like a set thing to to do because you have to have sort of a if everything is completely different, it'll take a lot more time for teachers to mark and whatnot. So I, I do understand to a degree, but it is also that frustration where you think I've got this passion I'm really into this and then education both school college and for some people uni it can um it can dampen it because you're like this isn't what I thought it was this is this is actually kind of not really not my jam so was there did you find that there was something specific that sort of with college and it's not being exactly what you wanted did you just kind of push through it or did you just find you did the college work but because you had the camera you in your free time when you weren't doing college work is that where you kind of found your i don't know uh find your spark in a sense yeah definitely i mean when you're like you said when you're being taught something and i guess for people that are marking your work they'd rather have a batch of work that is relatively the same so they don't have to um kind of know extensively a range of styles uh because if you think about how varied photography is you're talking about fashion photography, portrait photography, landscape photography, 
photos of animals, you know, news photography, like all this, all this stuff, sports, mm. music. Well, so I, offices and stuff, you get, I mean, you go people's websites and they've got pictures of people doing stuff. Yeah. That's normally the stock photos of people having to set up like a, a, a studio in a sense to take photos for stock photos that people use in their businesses and whatnot. Yeah. So like even that corporate photography. Um, so in my free time was when I kind of branched off into my own style. I'm, I'm kind of more private about it. I, I really like taking photos of animals. Like mm. as cliche as it sounds, and as difficult it can be to yeah. actually get pictures of them, um, they're my kind of favourites. But I've also, like, when I go on holidays and things, I try and capture those environments and cultures as well. Because yes, like you're in the if you're in the UK. You can probably get some stunning pictures in various locations, but the culture's going to be, it's not going to vary as much as it might if you mm. were somewhere else in the world. Yeah, totally. Uh, so that's kind of what my style is. Uh, yeah. I just, I'm a bit candid as well. If there's something I see and I see something more to it, then like by all means, I'll be taking a picture of it. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's weird, isn't it, photography? Because I've... For people who I'm not like 100% fully into it, into it, but I, I appreciate it. And there's the odd time I take some cool photos. Um, this time, and I think everyone has probably, at least our age, has taken at least a really cool photo. But when you, if you have the right equipment or even just the right the mindset, more so, you can almost make anything look good in the right way. Now you could have, you could almost have a, a tree in a field, and you could have twenty different photographers take twenty different photos of different perspectives, and they would all say something different. And that's one of the things about uh, art and expression, and um, especially photography, is that people who it's one of those those things where anyone can kind of pick it up, but not everyone can really flourish in in a, in a sense. I mean, there's a lot of things. I mean, I I'm in the mindset that I think almost. Almost everything, if you really try at it, you can get good. But with, with a lot of the artsy sort of things, it's all about your own, almost being in touch with yourself in a sense, uh, where it's with a photography, you do have to put effort in, you have to kind of think about things a bit, but often it's kind of a, it's like a gut feeling in a way a lot of the time. As soon as you see something and you go, there's something about that I want to take a photo of, or if you're a painter, you want to paint that in a certain way. And when you do it, it's photos even if you're standing and looking at something and you've got a photo of it in front of you they both often tell different stories and it's very it's very interesting i mean i actually just realized i I didn't even tell you before the podcast or anything but in in school in year i can't remember what year it was i think it might be year 11 um me kira and josh and a few others we took some photos and they were put in the john hansard gallery in southampton uni um it's annoying actually when I look back at it because a couple of photos were really cool but there are three that are especially good and they weren't the three that I put up to be put in the gallery and then I just think about that but it's one of those many things where I feel like if I had unlimited time on this earth I would be I'd probably do everything to be honest with you but uh, you know photography has always been one where I've just liked to almost just travel the world absorb the culture and just take a few photos here and there of stuff like um, like with some of your photos obviously as you said they're um, I don't know, I'm not expecting to see them or anything, but uh, what uh, do you have like a couple of photos that are your favourites, or is it kind of different parts of your life you found certain things? Yeah, I definitely, I definitely have a few favourites uh, that I can think of, and maybe not necessarily the photos, but the environments that I was in at the time. 
is also part of of it. Um, yeah, I can understand that. So, I mean, I, I photographed various things. I mean, even when I even when I went snowboarding, mm. um, I he braved it and I packed all my. Well, actually, I gave it to my partner to pack all my camera stuff up into mm. the backpack and kind of get up to the top of these mountains mm. and where was this um so just in france uh a place called la plan really beautiful for anyone like skiing or snowboarding out there yeah um and it's just stunning it's it's nothing i've ever seen before i know it sounds really like silly but i've never seen that much snow i've never seen mm. like i've never been surrounded by mountains let alone be on a massive mountain yeah yeah um and just got up there taking loads of pictures and that's probably you get some stunning shots because the the sky is as blue as it's ever been and yeah. the snow is as white as it's a lot of contrast can and, be. and stuff i agree i mean i went to iceland last month and um Iceland, it's the size of England and Wales, but it's got only one and a half times the population of Southampton. So it's like 330,000 people living in a place the size of England and Wales. Um, and it's just, there's so many mountains everywhere. And just no matter where you stand, you can always see a mountain. And it's, the British countryside, as you said earlier, is beautiful and it's got loads of really lush stuff. But everywhere's got their own uh, sort of areas of beauty in a lot of ways. And when you when you go to a mountain covered in snow, it's really weird. It's, it's like... Um, I don't want to use the term magical because that seems a bit lame, but you know, it's. It, I think it's because it's natural in a sense. It's just like it doesn't matter what humans are doing. It doesn't matter about the concrete jungles are creating in a sense. But you get these beautiful mountains with loads of trees on them and snow and all sorts of a lot of wildlife and that sort of thing as well. A lot of the time, and it's like, it, it, it's breathtaking. It, it's. I mean, I'm I'm obviously not a religious person, but it's those sort of things that make you almost think, did someone actually create this? Because it's so beautiful looking. But I almost find that more of the beauty of it is because it's natural and no one's it hasn't been touched by anything or anyone. But um, when you when you went snowboarding out of interest, did you um have you been snowboarding or skiing before? Um, so that was actually my first year. I've been again this year okay. as well. Um, it's very uh, it's very demanding and mm. um, painful because yeah. you fall as a snowboarder. You do fall on your ass all the time. Yeah. Um, you don't, as a skier, um, obviously if you get to a bit of a flat, you can, um, just kind of help yourself along a bit or build up enough speed to get along some of the longer flats. But on a snowboard, you absolutely have to go hell leather down it to kind of get across, um, which I was trying, but sometimes you, it is just so scary. You're like, there's, there's no way I'll just get, (laughs) just take the board off. It's fine. I'll, I'll meet you there. Are you more of a snowboarder or a skier? I'm I've not done skiing like from the off I was it's because uh Luke my boyfriend he he does skiing he's always skied he's done snowboarding too and he was like I really want to go with you would you want to learn yeah and I was like if I have to do this and I have to learn and you really think it's awesome then it's got to be a snowboard for me because it just it it just seems a bit cooler. Um, <laughs> no I mean, I've I've got my own board now. Oh, nice. Yeah, and it's got a sloth on it. That's I amazing. It. Yeah. I was actually watching sloth videos earlier. I was, yeah. Someone sent me a video of that one where it's got that person who picks up a sloth out yeah. on the side of the road, lifts it up, and the sloth puts his arms out and it's thinks it's like, flying. Yeah. yeah, that's amazing. 
That's uh, yeah, because I've never been. I did a bit of dry slopes for my birthday last year, and it's God. It look, it's one of those weird things, isn't it? Where it looks so easy, and then you do it, and you're like, oh no, it's <laughs> nothing. Us. No, yeah. it's nothing like what you expect. Um, I mean, you really have to be willing to put your body through it as mm. well, and the fear of falling is yeah. always in your head because as a human, you're your automatic reaction is to be, I do not want to fall over. Yeah. Oh my God, what if I hurt myself? What if I break a bone? Yeah, yeah, definitely. And the reality is, if you're not going to say, okay, like caution, just kind of go away for a bit, mm. like you're, you'd never get down. Oh, yeah. Well, it's not uh, with everything, isn't it? I mean, anything, I did skydiving, as I was talking before the podcast, I did skydiving last year. Uh, and there is that voice in your head, obviously, that's saying, don't do it, you're going to get hurt, you're going to do this. But if if you kind of... There's a reason. There's a layer of caution which is is needed for most things in life to be reasonable. But there's also you have to not veer too much on the side of irrationality. It's like everything you do is risky. Unfortunately, that's part of life. You know, you get in a car, that's risky because there's loads of car accidents. You get in a plane, you get in a boat, you walk down the street, someone could drunkenly drive, swerve on the pavement and kill you. It happens. But you have to, or one has to, kind of. Uh, my sort of mindset, as we spoke about a little bit before the podcast as well, is kind of within reason say yes to almost everything to give it a go because i always find that most things that you try you're fairly neutral to but it's a nice experience but one in however many depending on the person uh will be something that you really enjoy that really hits home with you and obviously excuse me uh, with me i think um i used to do a lot of water sports like sailing and that sort of thing which was really cool and i've always enjoyed being on the water so kayaking canoeing sailing power boating any of those sorts of things i've always loved and i'm a pretty good swimmer and i used to do diving i want to do scuba diving but i am so so scared of scuba diving like i want to do it partially because i'm so scared of it like skydiving has always been a fear of mine of the parachute not deploying and all that sort of jazz but um once you just think like fuck my insecurities i'm just gonna do it whenever it's been one of those things that you've been building up in your head so much more it, it finds like it's it, it, it's like uh it's really relieving it's like a stress off your shoulders and you're like wait a minute that really wasn't that wasn't bad at all and you're yeah. like maybe everything else isn't too bad and nine times out of ten when you do something you're worried about or you're anxious about you're doing it's fine you know no the odd times it's not obviously i'm not going to tell people yeah everything you ever do will always be fine because that's not it no not at all but like you said, when you if you finally do something that you're worried about, nine times out of ten it's absolutely fine. Yeah. Which is what I find, and sometimes like I do worry about stuff, I get anxious, and not I. The only way I can get through it is to literally throw myself through it mm. to know what the outcome is. Yeah. And like you said, nine times out of ten it is fine, and yeah. the you know the one time it might not be fine. Like you just deal with it because yeah. you don't have any other option but to. So. Mm, exactly. Yeah, and if you don't want to, with the human experience, it's, it's one of those things where when you hear about people on their deathbed, the things they always say is, is always they regret what they didn't do, not what they did do. You know, mm. humans make mistakes. You do things that will hurt people. You'll do things that um, will upset people, or you'll do things that will hurt yourself. And that is the way I kind of look at it is. Every mis- every every decision you make in within reason uh, is basically it has a benefit to it because either it'll impact your life positively, um, or it, it'll be a means to an end. Like work, for example, is it's not it's not good or bad. I just neutral, but I have to make money to live. So, uh, but then other things which when things suck, especially when it's like I don't know with relationships or people, any mistake you make, you learn from it. So if you ever use the term wrong, is kind of. In- 
yeah, arbitrary, arbitrary, but it's like, if you do something which was not the right thing to do at that point, nine times out of ten, you'll, you'll realise that, and then you'll learn from it, and then in the future you'll be better for it. And it's kind of the same thing with throwing yourself in. Because one of the weird things I kind of realised over the last few years is, when you've got that voice in your head that's telling you, don't do this, it's, people go, oh, I can't do that because that, I'm not that kind of person, or I can't do that because... Oh, I can't. Certain people, when it comes to health and fitness, oh, I can't lose weight. I've got terrible self control. That's what I hear a lot. You know, I can't give up smoking because I've bad self control. And it's like your own self control is your own self control. And it's actually stupid, but it's like you are the one who controls that. And even if there's that voice in your head telling you, don't do it for this reason, that reason, whatever, at the end of the day, you can. Sometimes it can be more difficult at certain times than others, and for different people it can be different. But you can get through it, and you can push through it. And if you really force yourself, and you, I try and I try and make commitments to myself, and be like, right, no matter what happens, I've got to do that. You know, yeah. with exercise, when I lost a, a fair amount of weight in college and things like that, I was like, I need to just not eat chocolate every time I'm hungry and just try and exercise twice a week. And it, I was just like, it almost doesn't matter what else I do if I can do that then it'll be fine. And once you start getting into that and start really thinking to yourself, you question your own mind, you go, you know, when you're thinking, oh, I don't want to do this, you go, no, I'm going to fucking do it. And then you do, and it is, as you say, you, yeah. it's so relieving and it's it's rewarding in that sense. So it's great hearing that you've been doing that sort of uh, that sort of thing. Yeah, I mean, when you say you kind of, you get used to doing stuff that usually would have made you feel like on edge or... Mm. Um, I can definitely like say that like with uh, with work I because I've got the background of having photojournalism as a degree mm. that it doesn't sound like it but it does involve filming as well mm. so I've invo- I've filmed the executive team and uh, CEO mm. um, and every single time I was just like oh my gosh, oh my mm. gosh, oh my gosh. But, like, I know what I'm doing. Like, just get there, set the tripod up, set the camera up. Yeah. Get them relaxed, like, put them in position, film their little speech, <laughs> and off you go. And I've done it a few times now, and I'm absolutely fine. And you build a rapport with with them, and mm. um, the fear just kind of goes. And when someone says, oh, can you take a picture or can you film someone? You're like, yeah, sure. And it's, yeah. it's fine. And before we'd never have done that. And, and actually when I was at uni, I was always terrified of doing presentations. I really mm. hated it. It would, that whole feeling of like having pins and needles and like the blood rushing to your face. Mm. I'd have that every time. And then I obviously got my job and I got back in contact with my lecturer and just said, you know, this is what I'm doing thanks for everything because without all your advice I wouldn't have got here yeah and he was actually like what you know would you like to do a talk and I thought yeah yeah fine, I'll do it and I was like really crapping myself like <laughs> oh no what could I possibly like tell someone like that's doing their degree mm. and it was fine and I all of those things I used to have I just didn't have them anymore and mm. I found it so bizarre I was just like Am I actually doing this and not feeling like at all? Yeah. Like worried. Whereas before, it's natural to feel worried, but I would usually have felt extremely on edge the whole time. It just wasn't there. Yeah, yeah. It's like um, 
one of the funny things I heard this on a podcast uh, the other day because pretty much all my knowledge comes from podcasts now. Um, but someone was saying because um, a lot of people have issues with the public speaking. Like loads of people I know. I mean, I don't. Uh, I'm I thrive with the more was more people and more attention on me in a sense. I actually thrive more, which arguably is probably due to ego things. But <laughs> um, so even when I was younger, I always was fine talking in public. Um, I spoke obviously a lot of other people I know aren't understandably because logically everyone looking at you and just judging in a sense everything you're saying and if you if you mess up then what can happen but one of the things i actually heard was um one of the reasons people naturally feel on edge about this sort of thing was because uh, back when we were like hunter gatherers and stuff and in tribes the only time you'd ever stand in front of a group of people and talk to all of them right would there's the odd time if you were like a tribe leader or something like that but generally if you're just the air quotes normal person the only time you do that is if you ha- are at trial. If you're if you've done something wrong, you have to convince the whole tribe to either not kill you or kick you out. So you had this. So it kind of got built. This is not. I want to just say this is what I heard in the podcast and people were talking about. It. It's one of those big theories. You know, it's not. There's because of how complicated humans are and genes and all sorts of other things. There's hundreds of different things that come into play that cause one thing. But at least a part of this was yeah, our ancestors had this thing where for years and decades and maybe even hundreds and thousands of years, you know, humans have been around for 300 or thousand years. And it's like the, the only time you'd ever have to do it is sort of say, like, I didn't steal the thing. Please let's let me in your tribe. And over the years, every time a person has to stand in front of it, your genes kind of change a bit. You get that, that thing, like uh, a lot of people say about phobias, you know, most ir- like irrational phobias of random things come from trauma, but so many people are scared of spiders and uh, snakes, but that's obviously because, Spiders and snakes are both uh, poison, uh, venomous, and our ancestors, some of them died from being bitten by this or got really ill, and it kind of, you've got like a, a gene memory almost, where your ancestors experienced such trauma, it can actually happen throughout the generations. Wow. Yeah. So it's like with a public speaking, that is one of the things, and it's, it's kind of about grabbing life by the horns, essentially, and be like, I know that it's anxious and it's going to make me feel uncomfortable, but I'm just going to push the boat out and do it. And it's great hearing that you're trying to make yourself do that sort of thing and it's, yeah. it's it helps one grow as an individual and i'm not saying to people listening everyone should immediately do something that makes you feel horrendously uncomfortable but it's it's in steps and every step you take it does make the next one a little bit easier Definitely. and there will be yeah there will be big milestones and big things come in your life and you'll be like oh god you know i mean i've been working at my job now for six months and my my boss uh is like i can see them the entire time i'm working you know she's a manager when we talk normally, completely fine. If I go in for a meeting, which is once a week, just to catch up, I get such anxiety before going in. I start getting the shakes and stuff, and I go, because she has this power, like obviously the CEOs do at your place. They have the power, literally, to just go, you're fired, gone. Just straight away. It's like, you can't. There's a degree of, obviously, when you've been there long enough, you can then start be like, oh, not due course, and that sort of other things. But it's still like, they have that power over you. And I have that with authority figures a lot of the time, like, you know, with police. I don't do anything illegal. You know, yeah. I'm not. I'm not a lawbreaker. Um, I've not hurt anyone or done anything horrendous or anything like that. So there's no reason for me to ever fear the police. Yeah. But as soon as I walk past them, I just go, "Oh, they're going to arrest me. What have I done? Have I <laughs> have I accidentally stolen uh, 500 grams of cocaine from someone?" And it's like, "No, I don't do that. I'm like, I don't do coke, and I wouldn't have it. And there's all these sorts of other things. It's like that warrior. Did I accidentally steal something from a shop recently? It's like." You've never stolen anything from a shop ever. No, you haven't. But there's that weird yeah, irrationality. I get it when I drive. Mm, yeah. And then there's like a police person oh, behind you, right and out. you're just like, 
must drive normally. And you're <laughs> driving normally, but you're exactly. there like, do everything correctly, don't do anything suspicious, like, <laughs> yeah. d- just make sure you're doing everything right. And then you like, they, they like turn off and you're like, oh, phew, it wasn't me. And you're like, <laughs> yeah. what? What do you mean it wasn't you? You weren't doing anything, they weren't after you. Oh my exactly. gosh, you've been driving normal the whole time. 100%, yeah, it's, it's a weird thing. It's because we have these weird dynamics of people, you know, and in the workplace it's the same. And I've noticed there was one thing I, I heard which was... Um, is talking about when people are around bosses, they'll laugh a lot more. And a lot of the time people don't even notice they're doing it. But it's because that is that weird, where you kind of want to please them and you're kind of a little bit fearful in the same way. Yeah. And it's that if it, if they're a complete dickhead, then normally it's not the case. But you, I notice the people around me laugh at the boss's jokes just way more than is kind of valid. But not like, not like, uh, as they say, a, a, fine, a mildly clever pun and everyone bursts out laughing. It's not like that. It's more just like incrementally like... You're laughing a little bit more than I thought you would at that sort of joke. And it's sometimes you don't realise it, you know? Yeah. And it's often one of the telling things with um happens in movies and stuff a lot of the time when people talk about with uh, men and women, you know, a lot of women say they like a man who can make them laugh and that sort of thing. It's not always the case. But like a lot of the time if you're chatting with a woman and you're not necessarily being that funny, but they laugh quite a lot, that's that they may not even realise they're doing it. Or the other way around, you know, it's it's all different genders acting towards people in different ways and then it happens even wider to parents and this and that like with i'm a pretty reasonable guy now i like to think but and with my mum i'm really nice and affectionate with that sort of thing but there's certain times and certain things that you'll bring up which it's not even like anything overtly bad or anything but you bring up a certain thing and i'll just i wouldn't say snap but i'll be on the defensive a little bit more than normal yeah and there's not and afterwards I think about it and it wasn't it's not if someone was looking on it on a third person they wouldn't immediately go Mike's freaking out it would be it's quite incremental but I just noticed myself having a slightly shorter fuse of certain things and it's not even necessarily due to the past with my mum or anything like that it's just because the parent to child relationship is a different dynamic to what I'm used to yeah. it can be like that and I found that with exes as well where um, there's uh, a couple of women in my life who I've dated in the past that I'm obviously not dating anymore but the when I hang out with them, I'll, there are certain things I'll say and I'll notice myself looking at it worse than it should be, yeah. in a sense. And it's a, it's a weird thing and, and it's a lot of things you can't notice and it's all kind of like your subconscious is always doing stuff that your conscious isn't always aware of. And I think that's with part of the anxiety thing as well. Definitely. Comes to it. I mean, I'm, I'm reading a book at the moment. I've only just started it actually, but it talks about how we get to a certain age and and we're very uh we're very like why didn't i do that i could have done that Mm. i should have done that and it actually well in the book it says that it stems from the way you were raised as a child Mm. so there are parents that say you shouldn't do that because that's dangerous or Mm. and they say no don't do that yeah and that's right at the time because they're trying to keep you safe as a child and they're not being horrible to you they're just being a parent Hmm. and then there's other parents that are oh that's okay like don't worry we're we're try again and it will be good and what actually happens is when you become an adult you get adults that go oh i should have done that i'm so terrible oh that's no good Hmm. wouldn't wouldn't have done that usually and then you get other people that are just like oh well i'll just i'll just do better next time it's fine and they're chill yeah and it when i read that i was just like Oh my god, like how crazy, like you don't think that things like that would impact the way you think. Mm. And sometimes we're really self-critical and harsh on ourselves. I yeah. think 
my gosh, maybe we all should be a bit kinder to ourselves. Yeah, and it's I've been thinking about this like every. It's so weird that your adult life, like there's there's this um, argument of uh, free will and determinism, and it's basically saying, do you actually ever have a free choice in doing anything, or is it you're just such a, you're such a product of your genes mixed with every experience you've had up to this point that you could actually determine exactly what someone would do if you had the right amount of data on them, because even decisions which seem out of character for you from a third party from another people looking inward, but a lot of people argue no, that's exactly what you were going to do at the right time and things, and it's like. It's so weird. There's a lot of debate about that sort of ideology, but I like to think that it's a part in part. You know, there's a lot of things which you almost can't control. Like, um, I'm not going to delve into it in your personal life, but with sex, for example, a lot of things that people say with sex is that most of it, or at least a good chunk of it, comes from when you're a child. And it's not anything sexual at all that has to have happened to you, but it's these weird things. I mean, there's one I heard. I want to put like an asterisk by this and say, I, I can't remember where I heard this. This could be complete rubbish. But I heard something where if like, if a male is breastfed for slightly longer than a certain amount of time, they'll generally be more into breasts than bums. I mean, that's a, I don't know if that's true, but it's that sort of idea of yeah. all these little things. And like um, Sigmund Freud is a very flawed man in a lot of ways, but he had some pretty good ideas. And one of the things he said was like, um, uh, with child development, uh, there's the oral, anal, and phallic stages of development. And the oral is when kids just put everything in their mouths all the time. And he said that with um, with uh, people can develop oral fixations. And a lot of the time, if you give a kid a, a dummy or something, like yeah. a pacifier, if you give that to them for either too long or also not long enough, you can act like if you give it to them and they take it away too quick, they can develop a mild oral fixation, which can uh, basically come out in ways of biting the fingernails, uh, overeating, speaking, making you more likely to smoke. Right. And all these weird little things of just these incremental little things that you wouldn't even think about. Or like, um, once again, I want to say a lot of these are more theory-based and there's a dispute in it in the uh, psychological community. But another one is the anal stage, which is um, when a baby... Uh, basically goes to the toilet in the nappy and their how quickly the nappy gets changed will affect how almost clean they are as an adult in some ways yeah. so like if you're if you poop and then you're left in it for a little bit longer then you may be more fine with mess but like i don't know what i haven't asked my mum this but my mum was very obviously a lot of it because nurture as well when you're growing up you see how your parents act around dirt and stuff but like my mum's always been super clean hygienic yeah and i've always been it and i know that if i ever went to the toilet at all my mum would be like ocd changing me immediately yeah so I've... your house is always always pristine whenever yeah. we all hung out at college it was oh, just yeah. like everything like a show home just exactly pristine. nothing nothing at all on the sides were ever dusty or any rubbish <laughs> anywhere it's like you know and I'm, I'm a fairly clean guy but i'm more like I want it to be clean and presentable, but I have other things to do in my life that I, I can't be asked to clean all the time. Because if you spend your entire time cleaning, you, that's what you'd be doing. And that's kind of what mum did. And I find that with I'm a bit anal with cleanliness to a degree, not quite as much as my mum, but that may have come from that, yeah. you know? And it's all these little things of like so many different parts of you are because of someone else. I mean, most people can't remember the first five years of their life. No. And then from the age of five to ten... If you bring up, if someone in my family who knew me at that time brought up certain things, I'd probably remember a fair amount. If you ask me just to remember it now, I don't know. Can't say anything. Barely at all. And when you're younger, when you're in the most developmental stages of life, that's when you're learning from your environment and you're growing the most. And it's putting in the foundations of your personality as you get older. And like when you're, when you have a kid, someone who's 10, and when you have them when they're 20, when they're 30, they are noticeably different people. Yeah. But there are still parts of them that are still the same. Like I've always been a talker. 
Like, the, I actually started walking before talking, weirdly enough. And then from then, no one can ever shut me up. And since even school when I was like seven, they're like, Mike's quite bright, but he talks much too much in class. And he distracts the other kids. And from then till college, that's always that's always been me. Yeah. Even if I'm more reflective and no matter how much of a quote unquote adult I become and how much different I become in how I handle people, I'm always a talker. And it's weird that all these little things you don't even think about kind of manifest in different ways. And you can't control them in so many ways. So when you really want to do that thing where you're like, I'm just going to take hold of my own destiny. Fuck anything that's going on in my head. I don't give a shit. What happens? I'm going to do this. Yeah. And it's going against the grain. And it's like, it's it's such a good thing to do and force yourself to kind of get out of your comfort zone in a way to really see how much you can flourish. Because a lot of people don't believe they can do any of these things that they think they can. You know, they yeah. they can't follow this hobby. They can't go snowboarding or skiing. They can't travel the world. They can't go skydiving. And it's like... If you really try to and you just force yourself to do this one thing that you do want to do but you don't at the same time, as we said, it's it's so rewarding. Yeah, um, I mean, when I was studying at uni, like, theories were really, like, key in kind of the papers we were writing and stuff. And you could have a completely... You could say you could all read the same kind of theory and look at the same pictures but you could all come out with a different paper and I always found that very very interesting I had one lecturer who was really into the theories and he would get us to debate against each other and it would be like a common one to kind of put to people is you've got a train um you've got a train you can put the train on to go left or right there are there are people on the tracks mm. you've got five on that side you've got one on the other side mm-hmm. and most people will go okay so the train is going to go regardless of what i do so I have to make a choice so you say okay go left because there's one person and we save we say five yeah. instead of um you know saving one and losing five yeah and obviously like this is all hypothetical you in real life you would never want to make that choice sort of thing so it was all in a safe environment obviously yeah um but then what our lecturer would do is flip it on its head and he goes yeah but that's your mum yeah or that's one of your family members like what are you going to do now and then it would create chaos because people are like what do we do and Mm. it's all there's just so many things that you think I know the answer and then you're like I don't know I do yeah. not know the answer I do not know what I do in that and mm. it's all theories obviously but it's it's good fun to it's good fun to go through those sometimes yeah I, I quite like um uh what they call like thought experiments almost where like uh you just consider what would happen with this what would happen with that and all different parts of it and you can have like with me I, I've had certain mindsets and I've thought I'd think like that forever I'll never change that mind but and then something happens and it does change your mind you go oh and people get a bit married to their ideas and their ideologies and stuff. And it's like, with, with those sorts of thought experiments, it's always good to to try and think about other people's perspective, perspectives. Because that's one of the things I feel like we're lacking a lot of the time. Where as our society becomes more secular, you know, less religious and that sort of thing. I'm for becoming less religious without, you know, demonising anyone, anyone who is religious. Um, because I don't appreciate the doctrine that certain rules people have on their lives. Even though I think a lot of the lessons are really good. But... The problem that I find now is that without this uh, sort of the religion part of it, you have 
less community yeah and because of the community that's what i I attribute among other things to a a lot of the sort of mental health epidemic we don't have that same sense of community and purpose people don't know who their neighbors are i don't know the name of a single person in this road at all i i I know actually that's a lie when the neighbors moved in three months ago i introduced myself and got their numbers as dan and louise and that's it i I don't and i only know that because they were my new neighbors and we share a driveway so we, we basically have to communicate for the driveway i don't know anyone else i don't anyone down my drive and now we're losing that part and without that you can't be as empathetic you can't necessarily debate ideas in the same way but the internet i think is opening that door a little bit more and making sort of intercommunication with it i mean i can give you like two examples of what you just said Mm. um yesterday um had a amazon delivery it's not for us it's for our neighbor Mm -hmm. okay yeah fine we'll take it yeah um apparently our neighbor came around and just said you got one of my packages didn't even did not even say hello hi i think you got one of my packages like a normal person would yeah but just demanded it so um you know luke was just like here you go yeah like because he was really disgruntled that there was not even a hello yeah and you're so right like no one some people yeah they do know their neighbors but that might be because they've lived there 20 years or, mm-hmm. or something um but the community aspect does fade. Um, I live in quite a, a studenty area, so I wouldn't necessarily know my neighbours, but, you know, I've only got students on one side. Uh, the other side is just uh, a couple and a, a lady. I do know, I do know one of them, admittedly, but it's never really like, oh, like, hi, how you doing? It's mm. always just like, oh, well, if I need to speak to you and I know yeah. your name. Um Another example is the other day we were walking back from di- from dinner and um, we helped a lady that had um, she she had fallen she had fallen over and um, she needed some help. But what I found really shocking is that actually there were two or three people that walked past her mm. in front of us. Mm. They just left her there, and I thought, how kind of self-absorbed in your own little world you have to be to ignore someone that literally is on their knees and needs help Mm. in a in an air i live in southampton city center kind of area so that's an area that if your handbag was on the floor there could be a potential that the wrong person could walk past and just grab that because the person's in need Mm -hmm. um shocking like we helped her up here help her get into her house but i thought what that is another community-based thing Mm. um if i had fallen over badly i'd like to think someone would come and help me Mm. but it's the reality of that we are so kind of boxed in we don't want to talk to anyone we're afraid to talk to anyone yeah or look at anyone because there is a conception oh if i look at the wrong person are they going to come over and have a go at me or Mm. or or be like what you're looking at or something like that which is ridiculous because nine, t- nine times out of ten, who's going to actually do that? Exactly, yeah. The majority of people are generally good people, but the problem is is there's the diffusion of uh, responsibility, you know, yeah. especially especially when you're in a town like Southampton, which is so densely populated. People see someone hurting or whatever, and they just go, oh, I'm busy, I'll, someone else will help them eventually. And it's always that sort of idea of someone else can do it. And it's that whole mentality, like a lot of... Um, people if they litter for example you know i'm not for littering obviously i think it's stupid and it's just lazy um but it's like 
you throw something on the floor and you go, oh, someone else pick that up. That sort of that idea. And it's just like, yeah, but if, if everyone thinks like that, then no one does. And then it's all fucked. And it's like, well, if you just didn't do that, that's one less thing that someone actually has to do. Or there's minor things. Like, if I'm out and someone does this, I'm not that bothered by it. But it's a minor thing of just like, uh, when you're eating uh, like West Key, the, the top floor, it's like the big food court thing. Um, you know, for people who are obviously from, from Southampton, it's basically 20 or so restaurants at the top floor of a fairly big shopping mall with just a big seating area in the middle. You get your food in the trays, and as many people know, you know, you take the tray in any McDonald's, you can put it in the bin, put the tray up. If you leave the tray there, people come collect it. Yeah. But I just think, like, to get out of the area you're in, you have to walk past the bin. So yeah. just lift up the tray, pour it in the bin, and put it on top just to save that other person a few seconds of their job. No, yeah. Uh, yeah. And people just don't seem to people don't really want to help each other anymore i mean as i say with the internet kind of flourishing i think that the degree of interconnectivity is is growing in certain excuse me growing in certain ways positively and there's a lot more community projects you know the amount of times you see someone on facebook share a picture of someone who's ill or something and then they get a kickstarter started to have this kid go through therapy in, in america who can't afford it and all these sorts of yeah and loads of more people doing charity events and charitable things as uh because with Facebook, it's so easy to spread it and people can be, I feel like a good person because I've given the person 10 quid to that event. Yeah. And even though it's not, that incremental thing isn't a giant life-changing thing. If everyone una- like unanimously all did loads of little things, then we'd all it'd sort everything out. But yeah. instead you get these people who no one wants to do these little things because they think it's not going to make a difference. And then you have a tiny minority doing huge things and we need to balance it out a bit more. Yeah, I mean, I, I know it seems like such a small thing, but we were in we were in town the other, the other weekend and I was just walking along with my dad and he was just looking puzzled and I was like, what? What? And he goes, all this on the pavement, like all of this, it's, it's all chewing gum, mm. all of it. All of those white dots are chewing gum. It's disgusting. And I did look down, and admittedly, it's like something that you just you just don't pay attention to anymore. Yeah. But there were like in a like single tile, there must have been like ten bits. And then I thought, how many tiles are up the high street? Yeah. And I thought that's disgusting and awful because someone is probably going to have to come along and have like a super powerful jet washer to or something to to get up or chemicals is mm. usually what they usually think. But I thought all of like two seconds, there's like probably probably eight to ten bins in that single area. Oh yeah, yeah, across the high street, there's yeah. loads. Yeah, and someone couldn't simply just walk there and just put their chewing gum in there. That's kind of like a shocker. Yeah, and people but, stepping on it, animals eating it as well. And that's one of the things I liked about Iceland. No chewing gum on the floor. Nothing, Everyone chews yeah. gum. Everyone smokes cigarettes and stuff. And there's fag butts on the floor. There's no litter anywhere. Most European countries I've been to, I like that. Yeah. I went to Finland, not Finland, Denmark, when I was younger, Copenhagen, and it opened my eyes. I was like, everyone here speaks English as a second language because they actually care. And obviously, media's mainly in, uh, mainly in English as well, which is part of it. And then everyone there, well, loads of people smoke, loads of people chew chewing gum, people eating wrappers and stuff, but they just go, I'm going to hold on to this piece of whatever for another minute and put it in that box over there that's there for this reason. And it's just like, if everyone just, especially in England, if people just gave a shit a bit more, things would change so much. It's just unfortunate because it's a it's a culture we've kind of fallen into and just kind of gone, yeah, that's just how it is. That's how it is for so long. It's It even falls into the photography industry because we start to say, you know, actually, can they actually show that? Can they show... A, can they show a dead body can mm. they can they show pictures of war can mm. they show pictures of weapons can they 
can they even film things like that and mm. the reality is is that we look at devastating images of suffering poverty war and we say oh my god that's awful and then we like look away and that's that yeah exactly and all through uni i would you know we have to study images like this and and put a case together and one of the things i looked at was um poaching okay yeah and how severe images of that are you know they're not necessarily the worst and they're not necessarily in in the media as much as other things are but it's to the point where you think well what next you just going to show the hide of an animal being cut off or Mm. it's bad enough seeing an animal kind of dead Mm. and it is shocking and that was part of my degree was looking at that as well as images of poverty which is depending what famous photographers you look at can be it does make you think like oh really was i really bothered about something so small the other day when someone literally has got a rag as a piece of clothing and Mm. has not eaten in god knows how long and people can't intervene because that's not the that's not the photojournalism industry Mm. there's there's so much to it and we're every single time we're just like that's shocking but what can i do Mm, as an individual as opposed to a group collective yeah which isn't that's not the bigger picture it's more it should be what can we do and obviously there are extreme efforts that go into helping areas of poverty or and war prevention and things like that but the reality is is that it's it's just chipping away slowly and the impact of it is not big enough enough and it's not quick enough for it to stop Mm, yeah i agree it's it's a weird thing with our our culture because as i just said earlier i think everyone is generally most people are generally good people but it's we're pushed like if, if certain horrendous things happen like um one example is that the bombings in London or when really horrendous terrorist attacks or anything like that happens. People band together against the common quote unquote enemy. Or if there's a natural disaster like a flood, like a tsunami, a flooding, or anything like that, people band together and are nicer to each other. But they need something horrendous to be good to each other yeah. when it shouldn't have to be that way. And we're in this society where it's just like, because we're so stressed because no one's got any money and you have to work 40 hours a week and trying to get a house and all that sort of stuff is difficult as well as the mental illness epidemic or the pollution or the other sort of things that are going on in our western world in 2018 and all these sorts of layers of of different sort of problems in our lives we end up not focusing on other people and it's like you do get the people who are like we should focus on the issues at home instead of abroad but then you get the other people who say no we need to focus more abroad than at home at home we're fine and you know you've got a house whereas they've got nothing and it's like yeah. it's all about balance i find uh with there are people who are suffering more in the world than you but also there are people who are suffering less in the world than you as well and there has to be a right balance of thinking what can i do and how can i help without also downplaying your own problems too much i mean yeah. there are certain times where you know i don't like it I'm sure you'll agree with this and a lot of people listening will. When you get people who, they go to restaurants and they freak the fuck out at the waiter or waitress if the order's wrong or something. I mean, I never do. If there's the old time where, 
you know, you get the order wrong and then it comes out late and you're getting a bit more frustrated and you're like, okay, we've been waiting ages, can we please have our food? I know it's not your fault, but can you try and do something? That's about as far as I'll go. You get people just freak the fuck oh, yeah. out. You just shout and scream. People are like, no, you didn't do this right. I've got the wrong food or this is cold. It's just like, well, first of all, it's the chef, not them. So yelling exactly. at them is pointless. And second of all, do you really think getting that aggressive and yelling is going to help anyone at all? It just doesn't. And those moments you've got to be look at yourself and be like, okay, or if you do have those moments, uh, because people do have moments where they're a bit of a dickish or something like that, that's just part of life. But when you have those moments, you take, uh, you, you say, okay, I did that, I'm sorry, I apologise, try and sort it out, and then look inwardly and go, what can I do with myself to not make that happen again? But with other things like, yeah, there are people starving, but that doesn't mean people in the Western world can't be depressed, and it has to be as you say, instead of an I mentality, it's a we. It's like, it is, yeah, yeah, I do feel like shit. And I'm not saying I do at the moment, but like one does feel like shit because they've got mental illnesses of some sort or their job's not going well. And we have to give them a good amount of sympathy and and sort out society to be able to help them. But also don't be like, we're British. We don't want to help anyone else. Because like hmm. if you, the train track analogy that you said earlier is a good one. For example, if obviously if a stranger comes to your door, and ask, can I stay here the night because I'm homeless? You'll go, no, because no, most people say no because it's uh, you can't trust that individual. But if you have someone you care about and no, it's yes, of course, stay here as long as you want, I'll feed you. Blah, blah, blah. And it's like, with because we don't connect with people anymore, it's except in our own little tribes, in a sense, the, the little tightly knit groups that we put ourselves in that normally if people share all the same ideas, um, we lose touch with anyone who isn't in our immediate vicinity. Yep. And I'm not necessarily saying if a stranger comes to your door and wants to stay up, you should always let them in because obviously they could be, they they can, they could be a nutter. I'm not saying they will be. But we have to kind of get to a point where I'd, I'd like everyone to be a bit more courteous to each other. And when you go to places like Iceland or you go to even certain villages in the UK, everyone's a bit more happy and everyone talks to each other. If something happens here in my house and something really badly fucks up, I've got loads of people I can depend on, but there's no one in this cul-de-sac that I could call upon no. necessarily. If it was sudden, ridiculously bad, I need some water or something, Like I could probably go to my neighbours and they'd be fine because they're generally good people. But if I was in a real st- sticky situation, I-, I don't know any of them. I wouldn't be able to call upon them. No. And that's, that's what we need. And if we can all be think as a we collective rather than an I collective and discuss ideas in a healthy way without attacking others for wrong, air quotes, ideologies, when you have these people who... Obviously, there are people who are racist, who are stupid, and they're idiots, but we have to talk to each other to nullify stupid ideas rather than be horrible to each other, you know? There are instances where that's, you know... I don't believe violence is pretty much ever the answer, but, you know, if I'm out if I'm out with a friend and someone starts and is about to beat the shit out of us and it's two against me and my mate against one person and it's literally, he is legit, you try and talk him out of it, you try and run, whatever, you can't, sometimes that is the only answer. I've never been in that situation, fortunately, and I would hopefully no one ever will, but... There's always more than one solution to problems. Yeah. And people don't... And also, most of the time I find that every question that's a big enough question doesn't have one answer. It has loads of little details that combine to an answer. Like with religion, for example, I don't believe any religion is correct. I believe science. But I do believe that if science as well as spirituality and religion, they've all got pieces of a puzzle how many pieces each area has is for the debate, but they've all got a piece of the puzzle of what is, I don't know, air quotes, the meaning of life, or what should people be like, what should yeah. people do, and it's like the left and the right in politics, the England and Europe, or the rest of the world and people suffering, it's like, there's not a black and white for anything, it's almost always a grey and getting everyone else sort of 
into it, you know? It's like we were saying before we started recording that I guess the media, social media, it all all kind of locks us in a bit. So, Mm. like, we're feeling like we're being really social, but actually we're just... It is like what they say. Oh, you're just sat alone. Mm. You're just talking, like, through text or whatever, which is impersonal. But um, we're also... We're not... 100% 100% being honest mm. like everyone's like yeah this is this is amazing or there's people that are afraid to say I've had a bad day because of the oh that person's just that person's just attention seeking or mm. if someone's struggling and they they actually are trying to reach out that they're just going to be shunned and shut down straight away mm. and actually it will make them feel worse yeah um I, I know like I know plenty of people that say will say to me I've had a really bad day but they would never ever kind of put that publicly yeah because they're afraid but then they feel they don't feel great and it's it's a difficult situation it's a stigma of it all unfortunately and stuff and even though we're getting much better with mental illness and that sort of thing there's still that because you've got this one percent of people who claim to be depressed when they're not and then it's kind of people who aren't sympathetic towards others or don't know anyone who's been suffering with that then just go Oh, people claim that they're depressed, this, that, and the other, especially baby boomers say about the millennial generation, they go, oh, you see, you're depressed, blah, blah, blah. it's not a big deal, it's not a problem, there's people worse off than you, all these sorts of other things, rather than being sympathetic, they immediately want to, anyone who, you've got this thing where you've got people who, you do have a few people who do want to play the victim in air quotes, but often you have to, what I try and think about is when people are playing the victim like they're talking about oh, i'm going to kill myself when they're not there are a lot of people who are suicidal and it's a very serious issue especially epidemic uh, in the western world a lot of the time with males between 18 and 34 as well i think it is uh, in england it's like the number one thing to kill a man yeah. is uh, i think yeah 18 to 30 it's the number one way of death so i'm most likely to die by killing myself than anything else which is that even being that statement sounds crazy but it's like you look at the statistics and it's true and it's like there are people who do play the victim and will uh, milk attention yeah. but you kind of have to look at them in another way of why would they why would they be doing that anyway clearly if there's some maybe they're not specifically depressed but there has to be something uh, internally uh, kind of wrong with someone not in a horrible way but like to want to be so upset or disassociated with everyone that they're literally willing to say they're going to kill themselves even though they know they wouldn't just for attention and I have to go I don't, people who do that it does bother me but you have to also think of them like, well, why would they be doing that anyway? If yeah. they're not suicidal, what's going on in their life that makes them have to act that way to make that happen? And then you've got the other ones who are genuinely suicidal and need help. And it's like, we need to look at everyone more empathetically. When people act like assholes to me or people are around me, I obviously stand up for people I care about and that sort of thing. But a lot of the time I'm just trying to figure out why. You, you get these people who are just toxic people, who are just horrible to people all the time. Yeah. And those kind of people are normally the most miserable. You know, oh yeah definitely you don't there are obviously people who are really nice and great and are suffering a lot um a good example is robin williams sort of thing that's the one that a lot of people like to use because you know that how horrible and shitty life can be that you want to project to make everyone else's life better so it's one of those things where when people are suffering with this on social media or that like attention seeking air quotes on social media or anything like that it is either there is something wrong with them as in they are suicidal they are depressed like they're saying they are or maybe they're not in that way, but you have to question why someone is saying that anyway. Yeah, definitely. There's also there's also the other side of, I mean, I know that me and you will will comment 
or kind of put our view across if someone says like oh i'm not very happy or mm. does anyone know how to cope with this yeah. and we would probably put something but there's other people that will say oh they, they probably just wouldn't want to hear from me anyway yeah yeah that's and, a big one and it's not necessarily because they don't want to help it's just that they don't feel like they have the right. Mm, yeah. Which it, is an odd it's one guilt, too. guilt, isn't it? Yeah, they feel guilty that they, they'd be like, I don't deserve, my life's really good. I've got a job, I've got this, I've got that. I shouldn't feel this way. And they feel guilty because they're like, other people have got it worse, in their quotes, than me. I can't say this because I feel guilty. It is a, it is for, a hard one. For one of my projects, I um, actually photographed a homeless man. I got... And that's the end of part one. Thanks, as always, for tuning in, guys. Um, I just stopped it there because right after uh, me and Aaron started having that conversation, it just delved quite far in into basically the homelessness, uh, for a better word, epidemic, you know, the crisis, the sort of issues with a lot of homelessness. Um, and we talk about that for um, quite a while at the start of the next podcast. And I just thought if I cut it there, you get a little taste of her just saying something about the homeless without it kind of starting the conversation again really far. So if you want to hear the rest of that conversation, obviously just um, wait till next week. Or if you're listening to this after, I think it'll be end of April 2018. So if you're listening to it around that time, then it's already going to be uh, part two is already going to be out. So you should go listen to that. Um, yeah, also in part two. Uh, which will obviously be released next week, um, as well as the, obviously the homelessness epidemic and whatnot. Uh, we talk about social media. Um, we continue to talking about like sort of mental health and honesty and that sort of thing and depression, um, as well as supporting people with mental health. We kind of delve a little bit more deeply into that, um, along with support networks. Um, how important it is to give people compliments, um, and also the interesting fact that babies actually die without a certain amount of physical contact. Um, which sounds quite weird, and it is, and I looked it up, I did fact check this, um, I heard it in another podcast somewhere as well, but it, it does seem to be the case, which is very peculiar, so we talk about that, which is really interesting, um, as well as isolation, a bit of marketing and design and giving back to the community, uh, and then I kind of wrap things up by asking Erin what she'd do with a million pounds. Um, I think I've mentioned what I'd do before, I'm going to try and ask a few more people as sort of what they would actually do if they were given a large sum of money um i believe episode seven with carla i think that was the other time that i've spoken about this um but i've recorded another episode recently with a friend of mine called molly and um i asked her a similar question and things so i'm, I'm gonna kind of try and be that sort of theme if if the sort of conversation and the person i'm speaking to if it kind of works with them just kind of ask them what they do if they're given a large sum of money so that might be coming in the future it may be not though i'm not fully sure I'm kind of winging this as I'm going if people haven't already figured this out. I've got like a vague idea of planning and I know quite a few interesting people I like to chat with and the rest of it is just kind of see where it goes. I've only recently started writing notes, in fact. That's how unprofessional I am. I'm normally in pyjamas, normally people in my house um, when I'm recording and then I normally don't even have notes written down. So slowly winding that in, slowly over time. Um yeah, I think that's everything, really. Um, as I say, yeah, uh, last week, thinking about it, um, the episode released was... Why did I even start saying this if I actually couldn't remember what the episode was? Um, oh, Justina, that was it. It was where myself and my Polish friend, Justina, we discussed some of the sort of 
differences between Poland and England and we talk about the political system and all that sort of jazz as well and um, yeah that's a really cool one um, so be sure to go check that one out as well um, and be sure to like us on Facebook follow us on Instagram and Twitter uh, you know subscribe to us on any of the podcasting apps we've got on Podbean and you can I think you can rate us you can review us on iTunes you can leave comments on YouTube and you can email um, genuine chit chat at outlook.com but that should be in all the descriptions and whatnot so shouldn't be hard for any of you guys to find it's quite in quite late now on a sunday i'm just half rambling now because the mix of my hay fever and tiredness is kind of culminating into this so i'm just gonna stop thanks as always for tuning in guys and i'll talk to you next week